0: The occasion of this audio is actually a presentation in London, England that Rich Litvin and I will be giving for two days in London, and it's going to be called Creating Clients. So I thought I would make an audio program with the same name, and I really like the word creating, and Rich came up with that. He is basing his whole book on that, and the word creating is really important here, because in the world of coaching, anyone who's a coach, an advisor, a consultant, a mentor, someone who does that kind of work for a living. To acquire a client, it's not just some kind of closing trick or cold calling practice or technique or something like that that gets you clients. It's really a creative act because a high fee paying client is a very special relationship. So the act of acquiring that client contains a great deal of creativity in it, and it obeys the laws of creativity. The same kind of Preparation and brainstorming, the same kind of imagination, the same kind of creative work, the same kind of visionary look at what's possible between the two of you is so important to having that client relationship be created. And if I see it as a creation, almost like courtship, where a relationship is created, then I can start to create clients and add to my client list so much faster. Then if I see this thing as a manipulative sales process, one of the biggest problems coaches have and people who go out and do the work of transformation and healing and the work of personal growth for other people is that they often hold the whole concept of sales as a negative thing. In their mind, the act of selling is something that they really don't like. They kind of want to avoid that it's the hard part of their work. Therefore, They never really achieve mastery in that area. And what Rich Litvin and I teach people when we work with them is how to take that boundary away so that what you do as a coach, all the fine work you do, all the passion you bring, all the generous listening, everything that goes into visionary coaching that creates a wonderful breakthrough for your client, that same talent and skill can be brought to the sales process, to the creation of the client, as well as the creation of a great client relationship once the client is working with you. It's all seamless when it works well. It's all the same process when it works well. When it's not working well, when I'm coaching a coach, I see right away that the process is separate and it's artificially compartmentalized. So someone has the selling process in their mind blocked off, starving inside of some compartment in the brain where it's labeled as the hard part of my job. The part of my job I don't really like, the part that doesn't work so well, that's the hard part, selling. That's the hard part, getting clients. What I like to help people see is that when the hard part becomes the fun part, your client list and your coaching business really grows. Now, this is an act of creativity. It's an act of pure creative joy. It's not an act of manipulation. And where coaches fall into trouble is when they begin to communicate and they begin to exchange back and forth messages with some prospect who's on the fence, and it becomes a manipulation. What should I say next? How do I get them to work with me? How do I get them to pay me a fee? Those kinds of concerns enter in, they creep in. And all of a sudden, I've become needy. A lot of my clients, I have them put a little sign up on their computer that says, needy is creepy. Because any communication you make that suggests that you need your client more than he or she needs you is creepy. That's why stalking is a crime, because needy is creepy. Now, a lot of coaches who begin their practices make the mistake of being really needy in their communications. They say, yeah, I'll coach you. I will be happy to coach you. I don't care who you are. I don't care. As long as you have money, I'm fine with it. And And everything is so needy. And then when they have their initial conversation, they always make a phone call, and they try to get back in touch with a person. How come you haven't hired me yet? Well, they don't say exactly that, but they say, Hi, I'm just touching base. I'm just checking in. I'm touching base. I'm checking in to see how you're doing with your thought process. How are you doing with that decision-making process of yours? You haven't called me, so I thought I'd check in. And, And see, this is really demeaning. This is really pathetic. No wonder people hate selling. No wonder they despise it. They fear it. It's repulsive to them because they become repulsive in the way they communicate, and they don't know any better. They don't know another way. So in the process of creating clients, Rich Litvin has 81 principles that he's learned over the last few years. 81. He's sharing those with the people who show up in London. He also shares a great deal of that on his website. So it's not some big hidden secret, although I do recommend you come to London or wherever else we're giving this two day intensive 81 principles for creativity. Notice that they're not sales tips. They're not strategies. And I have something that I developed for delivery to Michael Neal's super coach Academy, which has now been strengthened And its 18 disciplines that I teach coaches. These are disciplines. These are not tips or ideas or strategies. These are disciplines which means these are things that you practice. Practice these disciplines and you will acquire clients. And it works when people work it. First point here is creativity. Your highest state, your best work, your most talented, masterful self comes into play when you create a client. Not the hard part, not the part you don't like to do. It can't be that. It won't work that way. So creativity is primary. Your most creative self, bring that to the act of client acquisition. Let's talk about context right now. Because context is everything in the acquisition of a client. When you're talking to a prospect, please keep in mind the context of the conversation, which is yours to create. Context is yours to set and set up and create and establish. And if context begins to drift off into an area you don't want it to go to, you can bring it back to where you want it. Now, the discipline in play here, it's one of the 18, is called the context of possibility. You want your conversations with your prospect to be centered in the context of possibility instead of the context of affordability which is where these conversations tend to go. Now let me show you the difference. Let's say you're talking to someone and you've had a really wonderful conversation and it's gone on for a long time and you've identified a lot of areas in your prospect's life where they could make a real transformation and a breakthrough and things could change for them if they worked with you. Now you've talked about those possibilities. You've asked your prospect, what would you have at stake? What kind of a breakthrough would you like to have? What would you like to be different in your world if we worked together? What would be a home run for you? What would be the best outcome of our work if we did work? Now the client, at one point or another, will bring the conversation back to affordability. When they find out your fee, they will say, well, you know, I let me think about that. I'll have to go find that, or I'll have to see if there's a way I can come up with that, or I'll have to talk to my wife about that, or I'll have to talk to my company and see if they'll share payment for that. You'll hear all kinds of references to affordability from your prospect this is fine and you don't want to argue or push back or resist that you want to agree with everything they're saying yes i get this it represents a real commitment on your part it represents a real investment on your part i understand that and i understand you'd want to talk to your wife or your husband or your business owner uh i appreciate that now If you allow your client, your prospective client, to hang the phone up now, he will leave the conversation in the context of affordability. In other words, he'll leave his talk with you wondering if he can afford you, no matter what you charge, and he'll go talk to his wife and say, hey, can we afford to lose this amount of money? Can we afford to not ever see again this amount of money? She's likely to say no. And... So he's in the context of affordability and he's wandering around, wondering if he can afford you or how he will afford you or where he'll get the money. So that context that I've left him in is not a service to him or to me, nor is it likely to bring me a client. So I don't want to let that happen. I want to return the client to the context of possibility, not affordability. Even if we've slipped into the context of affordability, I want to redirect the conversation before it's over to the context of possibility. What's possible if we work together? Why would it be worth it to you if we worked together? How would it be worth it to you? What is there in your world that you would like to have be different, that if we work together might be different? What's possible for us? What would you like to change? What do you want? Why don't you have it now? Tell me what you want, and then tell me why it's not in your life right now. And if you can tell me why it's not in your life right now, you and I might be able to put together a plan to work together the next six months, the next year, the next three months, whatever your programs are, to work together to make that possible for you. Would that be worth it? Would that be worth the investment? You tell me, I'm not going to tell you. So anyway. I've talked to my client, we're back in the realm of possibility. So, if my client takes it to affordability, I want to, at the end of the call, acknowledge affordability, agree that this is a real investment and a real commitment and a challenge. I want it to be a challenge. I want there to be a commitment. I want it to be somewhat difficult to start because that commits a person in this civilization, in this world, global economy. Nothing commits people like money. So I want you to pay money. I want you to be a committed client. Now, we've talked about affordability. You've said you'd like to do this. You don't know where you're going to get the money, or you're going to talk to your wife, or you're going to talk to somebody. You're going to talk to your spiritual advisor, or you're going to go to a mountain and meditate about where the money might come from. Anything a client says, I want to agree that's a good idea but I always want to take the call back to possibility so that by the end of the call, I say, okay, I agree with you. Now, before we hang up or before we depart, I've got two or three final questions. Let's really figure out, setting money aside, whether our work together would be worth it to you. So you and I talked. You gave me three goals you really wanted to accomplish. Tell me what are the goals behind those goals. Tell me why that would benefit your life. Let's really take a look at whether this work together would be worth it to you. What value would it hold for you if we made these changes in your world? Let's take a look at that because if that value is not there, then it wouldn't matter what the cost was or where you'd have to go to find it. It wouldn't matter. It would not be a good idea for us to work together. Now, when my client returns to possibility to the vision of the life as he wants it to be versus as it is now and how I might assist him in having it be that way, then he leaves the conversation in the context of possibility so that when he talks to his wife, he is in the context of possibility. Here's what I intend to create. Here's the breakthrough I want to have. Here's where this will help me if we can afford it so that His whole context for working with me stays in possibility and doesn't descend down there in affordability. That's up to me. That's my creation. That's how I create this client, by maintaining context. Context is everything. Now we're going to talk about what really works when selling coaching to another person. What really works is to sell the experience instead of selling the concept now most coaches I begin with when I start to work with coaches and they want to build a prosperous practice I find that all their communications with their prospects are an attempt to sell them the concept of coaching here's how I work here's how much I charge here are my testimonials here's how it happens And all kinds of concept sales these are all concepts these are all ideas And concepts can be immediately rejected. Concepts are things that our left side of the brain rejects, analyzes, criticizes, throws out, like, well, I can't afford this, and all of that. There are a couple of problems with selling this way. And the first one is, most people really don't know what coaching is. And they certainly don't know what coaching with you would be like. I mean, maybe they've been coached by someone else. That's usually rare but maybe they have. So maybe they think that's what coaching is and that didn't work. Or maybe they think coaching is something they've seen on TV with Tony Robbins confronting someone or Dr. Phil getting in someone's face. And so they have some vague idea about coaching. And usually what you'll find if you really get into a deep conversation with a client is that they had a lot of fear around coaching. And it wasn't the fear the coach thinks it is. The coach thinks That there's a fear about whether I have the right credentials, credibility, resume, reputation, ability, intelligence, background, etc. That's not what the fear is. The actual fear is that the client will not do her part correctly or his part right. Won't get it right. Won't know how to be coached. Won't know if he's coachable. Won't know if she knows how to share herself and there's a the secondary fear they won't know how you will judge them if they're really honest about why they're not achieving what they want to achieve they won't know how they'll be judged they don't know what you'll think of them and so they're reluctant to enter into this relationship now most coaches have no idea that those fears are occurring and so they just forge ahead and and keep pushing on how Good, I am, and here's my credibility, and here's who I've coached before, and here's why you'll want me, and here's how you pay me, and here's how many hours you'll get. All the while, the client is sitting on this fear, and there's been nothing done to alleviate the fear. And the client is thinking, I don't know if I can do this, or I don't know if I'd be good at this. If we can understand that, there's a way to have that be solved, and that's called selling the experience versus selling the concept. Because if you leave coaching, at the conceptual level where it's just an idea and the client is trying to figure out whether to do this thing that they don't know anything about, then it will not go anywhere. Or haven't you noticed? It will not go anywhere. So here's what works. And the way I like to illustrate this is I always talk about vacuum cleaner salespeople. Back in the 1940s and the 1950s, there were vacuum cleaner salespeople. And the ones who were really successful didn't bring the vacuum cleaner in. Now, there was a time when vacuum cleaners were kind of a a new thing. I mean, people were using brooms and roll-up things, and they weren't really using high-powered vacuum cleaners in the home. And so they were a pretty new product. Now, the salespeople who did not do well would come in and try to sell the concept of the vacuum cleaner. And they'd bring the vacuum cleaner in, and they'd Uh, hand a brochure, and they'd talk, and they'd talk, and they'd talk, and they'd claim all these benefits and features and all this, and then the housewife would say, uh, let me think about it, or I'll have to talk to my husband, and the same thing happens with coaches, by the way, who talk about features and benefits and concepts, doesn't work, doesn't work with coaching, but the vacuum cleaner salespeople who did really well are the ones who said, There's no way I can really explain this. Let me show you something. And they would take a handful of dirt and grime and throw it down on the carpet. And the housewife would say, oh, my goodness. Now, I've got something in my car that I want to bring in and show you that will clean this up for you. And not only that, but do better than that, will clean the whole floor for you. Even if you think it's clean now, wait until you see it when I'm finished. Do you believe I can do that? No, well, I'm hoping you can do that. Well, let me show you. So now there'd be anticipation. The salesperson would go back out to the car, get the vacuum cleaner, bring it in, and give the housewife an experience of how it works. Then he would hand it to the housewife, and he would say, now you take it for a while and see what you can do. And she would clean and clean and say, wow, wow, wow. Now this I want. I want this. Can you leave it? I want to show my husband. I want this, even if he won't pay for it, I'll pay for it. So that wow factor you must achieve if you're going to build a really prosperous practice with high paying clients, you must achieve the wow factor. It won't happen by forwarding concepts of features and benefits and things like that will not happen. It doesn't happen when people read your resume and try to decide whether you're worthy of this work. It will not happen at that level. It can only happen through experience. What you want to set up and design are ways for prospects to have conversations with you. Long conversations, by the way, not just a 10-minute chat so that you can tell them what coaching's about and ask them if they want to start. The word start is a problem here. You don't want them deciding whether or not they will start with you. If that's what they're trying to decide, you've got a problem because they don't have enough to base their decision on, not for coaching. They would for buying something that was really low price, some little product, some little notebook, some pen, some CD of yours that costs $9.95. They'll take a flyer on that. But a coaching relationship, there's no way they can decide whether or not to start with you. How can they decide? You want them to decide whether to continue, not to start. So you want to create, however you do it, an experience, not a concept. And by giving them an experience, a long, 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 long experience, conversation, they now know... Whether or not they want this to continue. Because they've already had some breakthroughs. They've already had some aha moments. There already are changes occurring in their world because of being with you. That's what you do. That is your work. And if they can experience your work, they will want to continue with you. They will know from experience that they can do this. That they are coachable. You confirm that for them in the long, long, long conversation. You confirm it. And they get it. And they see it. And they're the ones who ask you. You don't have to say at the end of the conversation, Well, so, do you want coaching? Do you want me to coach you? You don't have to say that. They will say to you, All right, so how do we do this? That's what they'll say. All right, I like this. What do we do? What do we do next? And you'll hear that over and over. When I work with coaches who are my clients, They're amazed at how often at the end of a long, long conversation they hear, so what do we need to do? So how do I do this? How do we start? And that's the client asking you. Because of the nature of that conversation, that is called experience versus concept. You want to get away from the concept of coaching and you want to deliver the experience any way you can. And there are a number of ways to do that. And we'll be explaining that in any of our live events that you attend, but there are a number of ways to do that. Give them the experience. Allow them to decide whether or not to continue that experience. Do not put them in a position of having to try to decide whether to start something that they don't have any feel for. They won't. When I work with coaches one-on-one, and when I do my coaching prosperity school, There are 18 disciplines that we practice or don't practice. But the degree to which we practice these disciplines is the degree to which our coaching practices grow and increase in revenue and increase in clients and increase in really high-paying, well-paying clients with strong fees for the coach. Those are our objectives. So I'm going to go over the first nine of these disciplines, and there's a reason I call them disciplines instead of other things like tips or strategies or secrets or things like that. Disciplines are things that are practiced. Disciplines are things that you put yourself through and work with and take out into the world and do and activate and practice and live and thrill to and breathe into. Those are disciplines, and that's the beauty of these. When they are practiced out in the world with real people, they get amazing results. Now these are the first 9. I'm going to go through these really quickly because when we do them in person it takes literally days to get these over to you so you can really practice these and understand them and see all the aspects and warm up to them and feel good about them. One of the things Rich Litfin and I are going to do in London and other places is have coaches, consultants, mentors, advisors really get these Get them on a real DNA level so that they practice them during the day when they're out in the world so they can see immediate results. Discipline number one is sell the experience, not the concept. Now, we've been over that, so I'm going to skip that. I'm going to roller skate through these disciplines like Steve Martin in one of his movies put on roller skates and went through an art museum roller skating. He didn't have that much time, so he roller skated through the art museum, barely seeing all the pictures, but it was really a very funny scene. It's a very funny concept. That's what we're doing right now. We're skating through the 18 disciplines, nine at a time. Discipline number one, sell the experience, not the concept. The client's decision needs to be to continue with you, not whether to start with you. And we've covered that briefly. Discipline number two is no cold calling. Use your inner circle connections. So There's a way I explain that thoroughly, but cold calling is not necessary ever, ever in the world of coaching and getting clients. Calling people up cold where you don't know much about them, they don't know much about you, and you try to sell something, that doesn't work with coaching. That's really a waste of time, and it's not necessary at all. We're all connected. We all have a certain amount of degrees of separation that we can utilize. Also, there are ways to prepare, even over-prepare, rehearse really completely make myself very knowledgeable about a person I'm about to talk to, which has them eager to talk to me. So there will be examples of that when we work together personally, but this is really a very important discipline. No cold calling, please. You already know enough people who know people who know people. You really do. And if you could slow your life down, you could see that. Discipline number three is know the half-life of enthusiasm. In other words, as you go through your world, please keep very much present in your mind the fact that enthusiasm has a half-life. So someone is excited about talking to you, excited about working with you. They have some level of enthusiasm for your work and your coaching and the idea of working with you. Please know and see and experience the fact that this enthusiasm will fade over time. It has a half-life. And so a week from now, it won't be as great and as strong and as vibrant as it was a week before. Now, my coach, the fabulous Steve Hardison, the ultimate coach, he's taught me over the years, last 15 years, a distinction that he uses called event action, event dash action. I want to take my action as soon after the event as I possibly can. So let's say someone has heard me speak to a group. And they email me the day afterwards and they say, hey, I loved your talk. It was really great. I'm really interested in asking you about possible coaching or something like that. So the enthusiasm is high right now. I do not want a lot of days to go by. I don't want a lot of time to evolve because that enthusiasm will go down. It does for anything in human life. Notice when you go to a concert and you love the concert. And the next day, you're telling everybody you see, boy, we saw Springsteen, we saw McCartney, or we saw some group in concert. It was amazing. And then a week later, you're talking a little bit about it. A year later, you're thinking, did I go to that? Yeah, I think I did. That was good, wasn't it? Yeah, we liked that. So the whole thing goes through a half-life diminishing. If I can see that, and if that's part of my world, I can take advantage of that and make that play to my favor. Discipline number four, do not use email. Now this is kind of an overstatement because of course email has effective uses in communication. There are some things emails can do for you, but most of the coaches I coach overuse it and they try to use email for persuasion. They try to use email to convince people of something or to get them to see the value of something. And please keep in mind that when people receive an email, Quite often these days, it's on their phone. And so, what they do as they step out of a meeting or as they get out of their car, they open their phone and they ask themselves, What can I delete here? What do I have to respond to? What can I get rid of? I've got so much clutter coming in. And so, your email enters that crowd of messages. So, you don't want that. Coaching isn't appropriate for that kind of world. Coaching is a very intimate experience. And so you don't want a long email sent to someone on the value of coaching. It will not arrive in the same spirit in which it was sent. Please be awake to that because there are so many of my clients in coaching who I have worked with and they are about to send an email to a prospect who's considering the coaching. And if they would only have had a conversation instead of having sent the email, then something great might have happened. But instead, they sent a long email. Now the person's considering the email and read it or read half of it. or It's just really a way to kill a relationship, especially in the world of coaching. So always look for the possibility of a conversation. So that's discipline number five. Honor conversations, use conversations, schedule conversations, have your day be about the next conversation you're going to have. Because if you will do that, All coaching agreements occur inside of a conversation. Please see that. So if you can see that all coaching agreements occur inside of a conversation, you will want to be inside of a conversation. Instead of pacing around, checking your email, wondering who to market to, writing a blog, wondering if you should write a book, all these things we do that don't get us clients, all these things that eat up our whole day, when we could have been in a conversation. Discipline number six, certainty versus belief. Use certainty. That's your discipline. In other words, when speaking about what you do and the track record you have for the coaching work you do, use certainty. Do not try to believe in yourself. Do not have this be some emotional thing about whether you're worthy of this fee. That will send you south. That will send you down the ladder. That will have you not connect in a very good way. Keep at your fingertips. And a lot of beginning coaches, I have them keep this written out. Things that are factually true about what has occurred because of your work. Things that are factually true. So when you say something that's factually true, like I just got off the phone with a woman in China that I'm coaching on a business she's starting. Okay? that's Those are all facts. That's something that's really true. I don't have to have confidence or learn to believe in myself to say those facts to the person I'm talking to. Now, if I would fill my conversation with things I'm certain about, clients I have, work I've done, things like that, I won't get nervous. I won't get scared. I want to really be connected with certainty. And we show many ways of how to do this and how to make this really powerful. Because if I go the other direction and I go in the direction of whether I'm really worthy Do I believe in myself? Is money fear kicking in? All those things are creepy, they're depressing, and they will have you not get clients for a very long period of time. All right, moving right along now. Skating through the art museum as we are, we're now going on to discipline number seven. Share stories and case histories versus features and benefits. You know, this is kind of a version of number six. So have stories handy. Have case histories you tell. Have these things be so handy. And these are things you've told over and over and over. Here's a story. Somebody says, tell me how this kind of thing works. Let me tell you the story of Marianne. And Marianne was someone who worked in a store and she sold fish, bluefish. And she did this, and she had a problem with that. When we first sat down, Mary and I looked at her calendar. So I'm telling this story, and stories are beautiful because they connect with people, and they end up saying, well, I I have a situation similar to Mary Ann's, or I want you to do with me what you did with Mary Ann. I once uh, wrote a book with Sam Beckford, my friend, and the book was called The Small Business Millionaire. And both of us had been coaching all kinds of small business people for a number of years. So we decided to write just a story, a fictional story, of a fictional coach who drives into town and saves a dysfunctional business from going out of business through his coaching. Anyway, we made up the story, and we based the story on various case histories he and I had. And one day, I got an email from a person who'd read the book, and the hero of this book's named Jonathan. And the person who emailed me said, I want a Jonathan in my life. Will you call me? Here's the power of stories. Stories are so powerful. So one of the things we do when I work with clients who are coaches is we identify the stories. We want to know how to tell really well. We pick a bunch of them and we practice and practice and practice. These are true stories. They're so much better, these stories and case histories, than features and benefits and claims and promises and all that stuff that coaches normally use, traditionally use to try to sell themselves and then fail. Discipline number eight, find the goal behind the client's goal. Ask about your client's clients. So here's the discipline here. As I'm speaking to my prospect, and my prospect says, I want to earn a million dollars this year, or my prospect says, I want my business to show a monthly profit. I don't want to just say, oh, okay, great, I'll help you do that. Let's let's put a coaching contract together. I've helped many people become profitable. You don't want to go there. You want to find the goal behind the goal. So tell me why that would be a benefit to you. Let's say we've worked together for six months, and you are profitable now. How would that be a benefit to you? The reason I'm asking these questions is, if I can find the goal behind the goal, Now we're really getting somewhere. Why is it that you want to do this? What is it that you'd like to experience and feel? Because that gets my client even closer to the true desire. And we can work there. Sometimes we can create a shortcut. So, for example, my client might say, well, that would give me the time to really enjoy my life and be with my family more and do this. And I might say, well, what if we just created a life in which you were with your family more And we also created the profit, but you didn't wait until you had a profit to be with your family. So there's so many wonderful things that can come up in an an enrollment conversation when you find the goal behind the goal. So tell me what you want. Tell me why you want it. Tell me what that would bring to you. Let's say we've worked together for six months and you now have that. Why is life better for you having that? Talk to me about that, because if I can find the true motivation we can have an even better conversation about what coaching can do. Discipline number nine, do not be needy. Do not be needy. See, here's the thing. When your mind is occupied by your own imaginary needs, I need this client, I need this money so badly, I really can't afford to lose this client, I'll discount, I'll do anything, I'll act desperate, I really need it. If in your mind you've got this sense of need, What's going to happen is your behavior, your communication is going to push the person away. And that's because neediness is creepy. That's the reason why stalking is a crime. We don't want to be needy. We want to have it be the opposite. We want to really talk about the client's world. The sale occurs inside the client's world, not in my world. And so I don't want to be needy. I don't want to When my client says, well, I'm going to go think about this. I'll get back to you. I don't want to keep calling and emailing this person like I'm needing this account. I'm needing this client. I'm needing this agreement. Anything needy is creepy to the other person. Human need in this way in the world of business is really creepy. It really creeps people out and it causes them not to want to work with you. That must be stopped. Many times I have my clients put on their computer the phrase needy is creepy. Because look what people do. They check in. They touch base. I'm just checking in. I'm just touching base. I'm just trying to find out if you're going to work with me. I'm just trying to find out if you're going to be my client. And that's really creepy to another person. So we want to find other ways to stay connected. We want to explore ways to not be needy, to be in a different position when we communicate because we'll get clients so much faster that way. So these were the first nine disciplines that we work on, and we go really deep on all nine. But I wanted to give you a real quick surface look at the first nine of the 18 disciplines. Discipline number 10, I call the lamp post distinction. And this is something Michael Neal taught me and brought to me. And that's this distinction. Anytime I catch myself wondering whether my coaching is really good enough to be charging what I do, or whether my coaching's as good as I say it is, or anything like that. Any slippage in confidence, any slippage in realization how good coaching really is for people. And coaching really is good for people. Let me just take a side road here. Let me skate into a different room with pictures in it. Coaching is so good. Coaching is so powerful for people. Coaching has to be good. The thing that's so much different between coaching and therapy is, that you can be in therapy for five years and still not quite know what's exactly happened or gotten better. But coaching has to be good. People don't renew their coaching contracts if it's not working for them, if life is not getting better, if they're not transforming and hitting their goals. They don't just stay on with the coaching. So there's a burden placed on coaching to really work and be good. So coaches keep getting better and better at what they do because they have to prove themselves inside their work constantly or they won't be referred no one will refer people to them they won't be renewed so they won't have a client renewing and they'll have to start their life all over again and that's why you have to get good you have to be great at what you do for this thing to be your profession and that's the good thing about it and that's why so many people have coaches now because it does work therapy is about the past healing wounds coaching though is about the future it's about creating a future that's different than the future that would have arrived by itself if you had no coach and you had no sense of creativity and you had no commitment all right so now michael neil talks about a lamp post even a lamp post would be good for a person so let's say a person leaves their place of business every evening and walks over to a lamp post and speaks to the lamp post and vents and talks about the problems and talks about the opportunities for tomorrow and some places where she can make improvements and things like that. But it's just a lamppost sitting here. Now, even that would make that life better. Even that would have that be a better person. So even a lamppost every evening would be something that would be beneficial to a person. So you can be better than a lamppost. You can talk back. You can really listen. You can see things. All right. Let's move on. Number 11, maintain innocence in getting your yes and no. Please know that yes lives in the land of no. Don't be afraid of no. So, for example, when you're talking to a prospect, when people are talking to you about coaching and you really feel they've had a good experience of it, and the conversation is about to come to an end, do not be afraid to live in the world of yes and no. Do not be afraid to ask an innocent question such as, is this something you would like to do? Now, notice how innocent that question is. It's not pushy. It's not salesy. Please see yourself in the same light that you would be if you were a waiter in a restaurant. See yourself as serving someone by asking that question. If you're a waiter in a restaurant and you come up to a a table at the end of their meal and you say, would you like coffee? Would you like dessert? Is that something that anyone at the table would like? Now, that's service to do that. And if there's a yes, then I bring coffee. If there's a no, then I don't. And I don't care which. I'm serving with my question. And a lot of times coaches don't see that. They think a question is pushy and salesy and it puts pressure on a person. It doesn't, it serves. Is this something you would like to do? And if the person says no, that person usually explains what's behind the no. No, because. Blah, 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 And whatever is behind the no is showing me where yes could come from if we kept talking. And so no is fine. Yes is even better. Discipline number 12, show leadership in your enrollment conversation. Now in sales, they call it the close. But direct the action in the close. In other words, the discipline is this. Let's say someone says, yeah, I really want to do this. And you say, okay, hey, great. So I'll be getting back to you, and you'll be getting back to me, and we'll set it up, and, we'll, and blah, blah. And so it sort of fades into the ether. And now they may have second thoughts, or life might happen for that person, where that money is now showing up somewhere else, or somebody else is asking for money in their world, and they're thinking, well, I could postpone the coaching. And so I don't want the conversation to disappear into the ether. I'm the coach in this relationship so i want to show some leadership i want to direct the action here so once someone says they want to work with me i want to say immediately how that works okay great here's what i need you to do you please make the deposit now and open your calendar so we can put our first session on it now i am directing the action just like if you were coming to a great auditorium and i was standing outside. And I said to you, do you have your tickets? Yes. Okay, then please go into that line. Now, when you get in that line, you go here. Then go inside. Talk to the usher. Once you get inside, and they will seat you. Now, this is a great service to people to direct them. When someone wants your work, wants your coaching, please direct them. It is not pushy. It is not abrasive. It does not put pressure on a person. It really helps. People are asking to be coached. They're asking to be led at this point. They're asking to be directed. What they're really looking for in their lives is a little bit of direction from someone else. And so if I back off, if my money fear is so huge that I just get all nervous around the subject and somebody says, "Uh, yeah, I do want to work with you. And I get so excited positively and negatively and I say, oh, great. Okay, well, we can talk later about the details. Oh, that's so wonderful. Then the problem is I'm not directing the action. And so now that person goes away feeling like I don't know what to do exactly. And so I've not served my person. Here's what I need you to do. That's great. Here's what needs to happen now. I'm glad you're working with me. Please do this and do that. Now open your calendar. Do that. Call me on this day. When your payment arrives, this kicks in. I will send you that. And then we'll meet here. So I want to walk them through what happens now. Direct the action. It's a discipline. And when you get that discipline in your life, you'll really notice an increase in your list of clients. All right, number 13. This discipline is really important, number 13. It's called slow down. I've never had it not work to get people more business to increase their revenue if they would just slow down. Please, look at who your next conversation is with. Please, take a look at what your world is today. Who are you talking to? Who has emailed you in the last 48 hours? Slow everything down because everything you want is here. And you don't see it because you're racing all around. You're racing from one meeting to another. You're one quick conversation to a brief email to this, to that, to this. You're skipping all around. And coaching occurs because of long, slow conversations. It occurs because of the focus we give to someone. It occurs because they have a sense that we are there for them and that they are very important to us and that we have time for them. And we cannot have that happen if we don't slow down. And the more you slow down, the more you'll get done in this profession, especially. And I've never seen it not work. I had a person who was in one of the coaching prosperity schools and he was doing fairly well. I mean, compared to a lot of coaches, he was making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, but he was racing all over the place. And he was like frantic, like trying to get into his own future every day. It's like a fly buzzing against a window, trying to fly through a window, trying to get into your own future doesn't work. And so he was always frantic. He always felt he was not enough. He always felt he needed to do more and more and more. And he thought somehow that the more frantic activity, the more busyness would be the answer to getting his fees up even higher and getting his income up even higher. And so when he found out that if he slowed down, if he took more time off, if he took long walks on the beach, that his income would get bigger and his life would get simpler and better. It was a total revelation to him and his income went from 200000 to 600000 in a period of about eight months from slowing down. So it's a major discipline. Number 14, get a coach. If you don't have a coach who's working with you, if you don't have that ongoing growth, that continued improvement in your own world. If you do not believe in coaching enough to have a coach, how can you go to someone and tell them that coaching is vital? It's really a total contradiction. I have coaches tell me that they're trying to sell their coaching to people based on I will help them improve whatever they're doing, including their income if that's what they want to improve, if they hire me as a coach. But my biggest problem is that I don't have much income. And so I say, well, why don't you hire a coach? And they say, I can't afford one. Well, wait a minute. If your whole pitch is that coaching improves someone and improves anything they focus on, including income, then why is it if you want more income, you don't get a coach? And so they don't really see the contradiction in that. But I'll tell you what it is. The contradiction in that is that they don't yet quite get how powerful coaching is because they're not experiencing it. And if you don't have a coach, if you don't have your own coach coaching you, somehow, in some format, and sometimes it can just be moving through the Coaching Prosperity School or being inside Michael Neal's Super Coach Academy or something like that, that's growing you every day as a coach, then your income is going to fall way short of what it could be. Also, when you go to a prospect and you say, coaching has changed my life and it continues to do so today. I have a coach myself. I believe in it. It works. That person's more likely to listen to you and hire you than if you say, you know what, I don't have one. I can't afford coaching myself. Uh, I don't quite believe in it, but I'm trying to sell it to you. It would be like a doctor saying, um, I don't go to doctors myself. I don't trust them. I don't think they really, I think they do more harm than good. So I, myself, I don't go to a doctor. I wouldn't go to a doctor. I use natural healing, but please tell me what's wrong I'll write your prescription. See, that you wouldn't like hearing that from your doctor. So why do you like hearing from a coach that they don't have a coach? Why do you like that? You don't like that. That makes you very nervous, makes you want to go home and think about it. Or all the code that prospects use, like I need to talk to my wife. That's code for no thank you. All right. Now, Number 15, leave the conversation in the context of possibility, not the context of affordability. And we've gone over that in this audio session. Number 16, limitation creates value. When something is limited, the value goes up. I read a story about a stamp collector, and there were only two of this kind of stamp in the whole world. So naturally they were very valuable. He had one of them when he got the second one, he bought it, he burned it. The price of the first one went way, way, way up when he burned the second one. Limitation creates value. So when someone knows that you are limited, which you always are as a coach, you only have a few hours every week to offer to the world. They know you're limited. They know you don't have that much availability. And that you do have an opening and you're willing to consider them for this opening that you now have, it raises the value of your offer. Always. Limitation creates value. And in our workshops, we really go in depth on how to express this and how to make use of this discipline. So I want limitation to be very present in my communication about what I have to offer someone, even when I'm offering it. Just notice the psychology when. You hear that someone's coming to town to perform a concert, and then you hear they're almost sold out, or you hear they're sold out everywhere they go. You see people lining up with backpacks and sleeping bags, and they're lined up around the block, because the fact that this concert's going to be sold out creates value for people in their mind. It raises the value. So limitation creates value. Discipline number 17 be constantly aware of the danger of role reversal. Role reversal. Don't allow the roles to become reversed in a conversation with a prospect. In other words, don't let them become the coach in this process, and you, the client, where you're in a position of saying, well, you know, anything you want, call me anytime, tell me when you're available. And when you're just falling all over yourself with unlimited availability to talk to them, This is called role reversal when you do this. Please keep in mind, you are the coach. You are the one considering adding someone to your list of clients. You choose clients based on their coachability. It's not the other way around. And I have coaches who come into my school or who work with me one-on-one who have it totally the other way around. And their whole approach is unlimited availability. I'll coach anyone with money. Um, If you have money, I'll coach you. I don't care if you're coachable. I don't care who you are. I don't care if we succeed together. It doesn't matter to me. All I want is a check from you. And then we'll book time and we'll get through it. See, this approach is not strong. It does not get you clients. It has to be the other way around. Even if you only have one client and you have room for nine more on your calendar and you want a 10-client practice, but you only have one. You still don't want role reversal to occur when you're talking to a prospect. You still don't want to be needy and falling all over yourself and totally available to this person. You want to be the coach in the conversation. And if you will hold for that, and if you will commit to that, you'll get clients so much faster than if you turn it around and say, yeah, I can meet with you anytime. You just tell me you're the busy one. You're the one with the money. You tell me when you can meet with me. I can meet with you anytime. You don't want that. Your time is valuable as a coach, even if you don't have clients. And if you can get that, and if you can communicate from that place in you, you'll get clients a hundred times. I was about to say 10 times faster. I really mean a hundred times faster. We'll go over all the implications of role reversal in our seminar in London and all the future seminars you see when we talk about coaching prosperity because it's i think one of the most if not the most important discipline is to not let role reversal slip into your communication now finally number 18 the final discipline of the 18 disciplines to growing a practice and number 18 is be great at what you do not just good it's really important that a coach be great at coaching. And I know that sounds odd because you think to yourself, well, how can every coach be great? That really kind of diminishes the term. Well, not every coach is great. You're going to have to understand that most coaches aren't. And most coaches just try to do coaching as a way to make a living. If you want to grow your practice, have this be a discipline. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying every coach has to be great, but I am saying, If you want to grow a really prosperous practice, then be great and have it be something you wake up into every day and have it be something you really get better at every single day so you know that you're moving toward greatness every day with the books you read, with whatever you watch, the DVDs you watch, the books you read, the people who you have coach you, the seminars you go to. This is to build greatness in you. This is not because... There's something wrong with you and there's a missing piece. This builds you to be great at what you do. It's really important. One of the reasons I like to work with Rich Litvin is because he's really a truly great coach. And I've watched him in two of my schools and I've watched him at other events he and I have done together where he will coach someone in the room. And he is so beautiful at the way he listens and the questions he asks and the gentle questions that open people up to parts of them they've never experienced and and parts of them really strong powerful parts of them that they've never expressed. And the self-expression that occurs when he's coaching someone is really a marvel to see. That's why he's so good as a coach. He has people dream big. It's safe to dream big with him. And then he makes it less scary by having those people then take a very small step, a really small action. So that that dream is converted into a project. So There's no longer a dream like out there hanging out in some distant future. So there's no longer a sense of yearning and longing and I'm incomplete as a person right away in that first session with rich. It's like, I have a project that I'm engaged with. I'm now engaged in life in a way I wasn't before. Now, Rich's greatness as a coach also has moved into his enrollment skills. Because he can really work with someone in advance of their coaching in such a way that they know whether they want to work with him. And when I work with Rich and when he and I put on a seminar together, he teaches how he does that. But it's really an extension of the greatness of his coaching. So you learn how to be a great coach as well as how to enroll. And he has 81 principles, 81 principles of enrollment, of how to get high-paying clients. And the main principle inside all his 81 is be really, really great at what you do. Don't settle for less than that. And it's a choice to be great at something. It's not some kind of DNA gift. It's a choice.